The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we thank you that it is in Christ alone that we stand forgiven, cleansed, and redeemed. And we thank you for that this morning. Lord, we thank you for this gathering of your people. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word spoken, to hear the songs and the hymns that have been sung, and now to open your word and see the power and majesty of the book. We thank you that you're a God who has spoken and who is speaking. And so, Lord, today we pray as we've assembled around this table that you'd help our minds and our thoughts to be fixed on Christ, that we see him for who he is and what he has done, and see ourselves in light of that glorious truth. And so, Lord, we pray for your power, for your spirit to work freely in our midst. We pray that we would see vividly the cross and what has been accomplished for us. Lord, that it would move us, that it would change us, that we would leave this place this morning different. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart of every individual here this morning. I pray if there be one here without you, that today would be the day that they would surrender, that they would call upon your name, that they would trust you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with all that's said and done, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22 is a psalm that is familiar to almost all of us as we've been in the faith. But I want first off this morning to just talk about the psalm because it was written by David. I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that David is the author of this psalm. And there was some bitter experience that he had that initiated this psalm. And as you read Psalm 22, you have a sense of hopelessness. You have a sense of despair. There is a sense when you hear David cry out in the song that all is not well. And you might ask this morning, why bother bringing that up? Why even talk about David? Because we all know where we're going in Psalm 22. But as you see David cry out in his experience, and and what he does to navigate through that from this psalm. I believe it's incumbent upon us to realize that this psalm was written for us. And we come together to celebrate the table, but we come together with the past experiences of this week. We come together sitting in an auditorium of people who are struggling, people who are weary, people who at times feel as if God Where are you? Have you forsaken? Have you forgotten? It's bad now. My hope, my faith is waning. Oh God, where are you? And David makes it clear in this psalm and other psalms of lament that we can, in our trouble, in our doubt, in our fear, in our anxiety, in our hopelessness, in our lack of faith, cry out to God and say, God, it feels like, where are you? And I'm sure and convinced this morning, I know this morning in a room this size, that there are believers who are weary, who are tired, who are struggling, who could cry out like David, 
God, it feels like you're not there. And so listen now as David talks of his present experience. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it would be a good idea before we even move on from this point to realize that whatever experience it is that David finds himself, and there's debate on what was happening in his life, most likely, again, fleeing for his life from Saul, again, a fugitive, again, away from his home, again, one step away from death. But notice, my God, my God, he's not lost his faith. He is still crying out to God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. He says, God, it feels like you have forsaken me. It feels like that you are far from helping me, even far from hearing me. He goes on in his present state, verse number six, but I am a worm and no man. I don't even feel human right now, he says. A reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn and shoot out their lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delights in him. He is reproached and despised by people, mocked and laughed at. And listen, I don't know that we think enough about this aspect of mockery. It's a terrible thing to be laughed at. I mean, honestly, if you think back on your life, at times maybe as a child or as a teen or even adult, maybe something happened in your life or even standing for your faith and someone mocks you or laughs at you. It's like the blood in our face just falls. David says he feels as if he has been ridiculed, despised, mocked, and laughed at. And the truth is, this is the life of a believer in our world. If you and I plan on following the Word of God, and believing it is in truth the Word of God, and that our life should be guided by this Word, and we believe what it says in the world that we live in today, you will be mocked and ridiculed for what you believe. And if you think it's bad now, it will be worse. And that's the reality of the life we find ourselves in. And that's the reality of David's experience as he's writing this psalm. These are his present experiences, and this is truly how he feels. But notice now what he does, and this is the point I want to make before we go and move into the rest of the psalm. Notice his past encouragements. And now this is for everyone in the room this morning. Because there is coming a day in your life, if you're not there now, you will be there. And David now is going to give us the journey from pain to praise. He's honest with where he's at. 
He's honest with he, what, what he feels, and that should remind us we should do the same. Quit pretending, quit faking, quit acting like everything's okay. It's not okay. We're in a broken, fallen world, and we cry out sometimes, what's happening? Why have I found myself here? What's going on, God? But notice his past encouragements. The reality is, this is where David's at. But look what he says in verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou did deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. He says, God, I'm struggling. I'm here. This is the truth of how I feel. But you're holy. And God, as I look back on my life, your track record is good. You have been faithful. You have been consistent. You have been there. Verse 9 and 10. He says, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from my womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. He says, listen, I've seen your favor in my life. It's a good idea for every one of us, no matter where you find yourself, to think of the past and to think of God's faithfulness your entire life. Your entire life. Even the things that you thought in the past that would destroy you or that you couldn't take or handle or that were devastating, that rocked your world, to look back however long ago it was and to see, not at the time, maybe you couldn't, but now looking back and saying, oh, God, you were right, you were wise, you had a plan. I see your hand in what you did. And that's what David does. He is talking about his past encouragements, what God has done. And in spite of where he finds himself now, and in spite of where you find yourself now, it is good practice to rehearse the past character of God. And here's what happens for David. It leads him right into prayer. In the midst of his struggle, verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And that prayer then will lead to praise. And so, brother and sister, before we move on, let me just say, this psalm is for you. This psalm is for me. This psalm is the reality of life in a broken world. And God just doesn't leave us there. He helps us work through the pain into prayer that eventually leads us to praise. And so take that with you. Take it home. Allow it to become part of your life, because you and I need this. The Psalm of David. Now with that said, let me quote Spurgeon on this psalm. And he's just going to wreck everything I just said, so just listen to what Spurgeon says. But I hope not. He says, Psalm 22, David and his afflictions may have here in a very modified sense, may be here in a very modified sense. But as the star is concealed by the light of the sun, he who sees Jesus will probably neither see nor care to see David. Right? And this is what happens. We come to the psalm, and, and we, we realize the power of the psalm, and we don't care about David, we don't see David, but what I'm telling you, is you ought to see David before we begin. Because David wrote it. But there's no way to read this psalm and not see Jesus Christ. 
And what makes this so powerful, this psalm by David was written a thousand years before the cross. Okay, listen. Can you fathom a thousand years? I mean, honestly, we live in a world where 200 years of history, maybe, right? And, and we're not even in Europe where they have a thousand years. We see this stuff. A thousand years, David pens these words, and it's as if he sat at the foot of Calvary. This should give us great confidence and assurance in the Word of God. Right? This is, this is God saying, I am the author of the book. I know the beginning from the end. You can trust me. I am told that 33 prophecies are fulfilled about the crucifixion in this text. It's amazing. Amazing. The Gospels, says Phillips, gives the facts of the crucifixion. And you know that. Brother Andrew read it this morning. As we read the, the Gospel accounts, we, we see the facts of the crucifixion. And, and they write about it. And, and what we need to remember is, when John writes, and they crucified him, he, he didn't have to say much more because every person there would have understood the horror of what it meant for someone to be crucified on a cross. The gospel gives us the facts of the crucifixion. But listen now, Psalm 22 gives us the feelings of the crucified. And in this psalm, we hear the heart of Jesus Christ going through the darkest hours of history. So, just several points as we focus now on Jesus. Number one, notice that he was abandoned by God. Abandoned by God. And remember, remember, this is the same man who the heavens open. And God says in an audible voice, this is my beloved son. He says it later when Peter, James, and John are on the mount, this is my beloved son. Hear him. This was the relationship of God the Father, God the Son. Even in the agonies of Gethsemane, where he is pouring out his soul and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. The Bible tells us that God sent an angel to strengthen him. But now, he cries out in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father turns away his face. There is no answer. Jesus says, you are silent to me. And the manifestation of God's presence is withheld. Why? Why for the Son now abandoned by God? I think verse 3 helps us. He says in verse 3, But thou art holy. And we must remember this morning, as we think of the elements, as we think of the bread, and as we think of the cup, we think of the body and blood of Christ. Here on the cross, he was abandoned. Why? Because God is holy, and the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you understand that God abandoned the Son? Verse number 6, 
A, the psalmist goes on, and Jesus goes on in this cry. And there are, there are many who believe that Jesus actually quoted the entire psalm on the cross. But verse 6 says, but I am a worm and no man. And what's amazing about that, that word worm there, it's, it's um, a crimson grub. Literally, a crimson grub. And that grub was used to dye royal robes. But the grub had to be crushed. Crushed. And here, the father was pleased to crush the son as he became sin for you and for me. Why? So that blood would then cleanse our robes and give us robes of righteousness. Abandoned by God. Do you understand this morning the love of Jesus Christ that he freely offered himself for us? Now this morning, this table is for believers. There is no grace that's given for your salvation to take the elements. This is for us to do in remembrance. And if you do not know Christ today, I would implore you to know Jesus, to repent, to call upon his name, to turn your thinking from your own way, your own religion, your own works, your own ideas, and turn to Christ, who is the only way of salvation. This is for believers who know that. But we must pause and understand that he was abandoned for you. He was abandoned for me. Again, quoting Spurgeon, talking about this verse, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He says, when we see the agonies of misery that he endured, because we cannot comprehend God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in perfect peace and harmony and community and love for all eternity. The Father turning his face away. Spurgeon says, when we see the agonies of the misery that he endured, when in glory the veil is taken away from us, and we finally see what this was about, he says, all of heaven will resound in praise. Is that not glorious? That there is a coming a day when we realize, Christ, you were abandoned by the Father for me, and I can't even understand or comprehend what that was like for you, but there's coming a day when the veil will be pulled away, and when it is, all of God's people will sing, Hallelujah to the Lamb. He was abandoned by God. But not only that, he was abused by men. Back in our text, verse number 6, look at the second part of the verse. A reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me, these are the words of Christ, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing that he delights in him. They mocked and laughed. Christ says, this is what it's like as I view this. Isn't it amazing the text that was read this morning from Matthew 27? A thousand years after the fact, the very words of the psalmist are spoken not by his disciples, who would have wanted everyone to believe he was the Christ. They're spoken verbatim by his enemies. You trusted God? Help, have him help you come off the cross. He goes on to show the abuse in verses 12 through 13. He says, Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan, Bashan have 
beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Verses 16 through 18. For dogs have compassed me. And, and again, I think we need to understand this. When, when the Bible talks about dogs, they, they do not have in view what we think of a dog today. Right? No matter if you're a cat person or a dog person, it doesn't matter. They're both somewhat crazy in their own ways. But a dog in Bible days was not a house pet. It was a scavenger. It consumed on death. And so when he's using this analogy of, of bulls and dogs coming around him, it's the idea that they're waiting to devour him. The assembly of the wicked, verse 16, have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. They gaze upon his bones. He feels it. He sees it. Here is the Son of God, suspended between heaven and earth, naked, pierced, and bleeding. And he becomes a spectacle. He becomes a spectacle by the eyes of those who have unfeeling curiosity. I think it's always baffled me. I've watched movies and documentaries about the Crusades, not the Crusades, but the Inquisition. And, and you will see places where Latimer and Ridley were actually burnt at the stake. And you think how horrific that would be to witness that. But there were crowds of people who came and gawked and looked and cheered. And it blows our mind. But it should not. This is the depravity of man. And here were the onlookers at the crucifixion looking out of curiosity at this man whose life was being ebbed from his body. Not only that, there were those who were not just curious, but those who were cruel. At the foot of the cross, here is Christ. And they're gambling for the only possession he has. And from that abuse, both physical, mental, and verbal, listen to what he says, how he feels in verse number 14. Christ says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melts in the midst of my bowels. My chest, my heart is melting. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He was abused by men, and you hear his heart. It's poured out. It's melting. I look around. I'm a spectacle. They're mocking me. They're gawking at me. They've gathered around. My enemies are here. They're glad I'm here. They're encouraged that I'm here. They're showing it and shoving it back into my teeth. He was abused by man, abandoned by God. But there's a third thing here. Look down at verse number 21. And the cry of Christ is, Save me from the lion's mouth. That's an interesting phrase. Save me from the lion's mouth. Maybe this will shed some light on that statement. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 says, after people have forsaken him, he said, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Now notice, and I was delivered 
out of the mouth of the lion. I believe Christ was not only abandoned by God, abused by men, but accused by Satan. This was the hour of darkness. And a spiritual battle raging at the foot of Calvary. And Satan and the demons of hell saying, You're lost! It's over! You have failed! We win! You lose! It is the hour of darkness. And here is our Christ, abandoned by God, abused by men, and accused by Satan. And as you read the psalm now, it sort of abruptly stops at verse number 21. It just stops, and the, the whole mood of the psalm changes. It, it's, it's completely different. But I want you to jump down just to the end of the psalm, verse 30 and 31, and I find something very interesting here. Verse 30 says, A seed shall serve him, it shall be counted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. And what I learned this week is that last phrase, he hath done this, is one Hebrew word. Just one. And the word is finished. Finished. It is done. It is over. The price has been paid. Abandoned by God. Abused by men. Accused by Satan. But he arose victorious because it is finished. It's finished. And today we have a Christ who is alive and well. And this is the message of the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15. That he was buried according to the scripture. And that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And my friend, we come at a table where it's somber and we think and we mourn and we try to grasp the reality of what took place for us. But it's not just somber. It is joyful because there is no reason to have a ceremony of a dead Savior. It means nothing. But he's alive. And he's on the loose. And there is coming a day when he will make everything right. He arose victorious. But I want you to notice this, and this is what really piqued my curiosity about this psalm. Because verses 25 through 31, it's as if we see this shift but we get insight into what Christ was encouraging himself about while he's on the cross. Listen to verse 25 through the end, if you would. Verse number 25. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. And they be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none shall keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. 
It shall be accounted to the Lord for generation. It shall come, it shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. He hath done this, it is finished. And here we find the Lord. He is prophetically seen on the cross, comforting himself with thoughts of the people who would forever be identified with him as a result of what he accomplished there. I want you to know something. Jesus Christ, that moment, was abandoned by God, was abused by men, was accused by Satan. He arose victorious, but on his mind were those that he adored. Is this not what Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 2? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Well, well what's the joy? Certainly, fulfilling the Father's plan, certainly saving the ruined world from destruction by sin. But that joy has got to be the joy before him that he would redeem a people. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That Christ on the cross was thinking about what was accomplished, that his people would be purchased and redeemed. He would declare his brethren. He would shout their name. He would sing praises together in the great congregation. The joy of the cross for him was you and me. Those he adored and died for. All was done to fulfill the plan of the Father. But in that plan was to purchase a people. That is why we come this morning and we worship today. We worship this Christ. Now, as we close, let me just ask you a simple question. For those of us this morning who are ransomed and redeemed, and we understand the story, we understand the magnitude of what we're doing this morning, do we comprehend that this was done because Christ adores you, that you were ransomed by him, and that our ransomed lives now should be lived for his glory? Right. This table is not just to remember and to enjoy it and, and be moved and leave. The idea is, to remember in such a way that it moves my heart to understand that Christ loved me so much that he gave himself for me. Therefore, it only makes sense that if one died for me and all were dead, then I should henceforth not live for myself. So believer, as we come to the table, as we glory in what he's done, as we remember are we now living for ourselves? Have we forgotten what we were saved from? Do our lives match the character and person of Christ? This should be a time that we do remember, but it should be a time that motivates us to say, Oh God, in light of what you've done, take my ransom life and use it any way you want to. And that's for everyone in this room. It's for the pastor and the person in the pew. It's for the stay-at-home mom. It's for you at work. It's in your neighborhood, in our community, wherever he has planted you. The idea is, he loved me, therefore, I will live for him. And so this morning, as we gather around the table, 
we do want to think vividly about the cross. And Psalm 22 gives us tremendous insight into what happened at Calvary. But don't just hear it and leave and not think about anything. It should stir us within as we think of our Savior to say, Lord, as I approach this day, as I approach this week, may my life reflect the glory and the price that was paid for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for Psalm 22. I thank you for David's experience that led him from pain to prayer to praise. May we tuck that away in our hearts and our minds and use it for your roadmap as we journey through our own sufferings. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. But, Lord, we confess this morning as we see the sun, all pales in comparison. It is Jesus this morning that we see clearly. And so, Lord, in light of him, may we see him clearly for the sacrifice that has been made for us as we handle the bread, as we touch the cup and see the color. May we think of the body and blood that was given for us. And God, may it renew in the lives of your people a desire to repent, to seek your face, to live a life Monday through Monday that pleases you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.